This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, the live media and current affairs panel show on 2SCR and the Community Radio Network for the week commencing the 10th of August 2015. I'm Lucy Robson and on today's show we're talking clickbait, ice cream and the continuing crisis of Q&A. Joining me in the studio are Managing Editor of Junkie, Steph Harmon. Hello. We have Investigative Humorist and Digital Video Strategist, Dan Illick. Good to be with you. And on the phone from Melbourne, we have cracky reporter Josh Taylor. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. To have your say on the issues that we're discussing, get in touch via Twitter. Our handle is at 4th Estate AU. All letters, no numbers. Now, first up, after a fairly friendly comment piece from Crikey last week, it came to light that the Australian Financial Review's editor-in-chief, Michael Stutchbury, has been encouraging staff to use the curiosity gap when writing headlines. These are headlines that have some kind of promise and tempt the reader to click. And if you're not so PC about it, you could also use the term clickbait. But what's the most correct way to refer to it? Should we still be using the term clickbait or do you prefer curiosity gap, Steph? I think uh, the words mean different things to different people now. I think the word clickbait was always kind of misappropriated. Um, it, It started off, I think, it started off being used as just like trashy news on the internet. And then it started becoming things like... Um, uh, seven ways you're killing your own children and just, you know, like articles that you couldn't not click and feel good in your conscience. And now it means all manner of sins, including, you know, the aforementioned examples, but also that curiosity gap, um, something that's just about Kim Kardashian sometimes gets called clickbait. Mm. BuzzFeed gets um, called clickbait all the time for its use of listicles, although their editor-in-chief would say that they don't do clickbait because they define it differently. So there's a lot of different definitions for that term. <laughs> they define it differently? What, what? How do they define it? Well, they define it as the curiosity gap, and oh, they okay. say that they haven't done clickbait for, for a couple of years now because yeah. they, don't, they don't do the curiosity gap. I've also noticed Upworthy have slowly kind of moved away from making clickbaity type headlines, and they are trying to do more of that curiosity gap as well. 
Well, if Upworthy have stopped doing it, then it must be very passe. <laughs> so what changed? People's attention spans or fatigue? What happened? I think, um, well, I think Upworthy is a really interesting example. I've, I've stopped seeing Upworthy in my Facebook feed as much as I used to. And I, I think that a lot of people have. And it's I not think, working. It's a bad strategy. Yeah, exactly. Get back to clickbait, guys. <laughs> well, I think it's it's more than that. It's uh, I think it was a lot of fatigue. I think mm. people started being like, you, you know, you want to share stuff that makes you look smarty or funny <laughs> or or smarty, which smart. is a cool combo of smarty, funny and smart. Smarty is money. Uh, <laughs> and smart said and funny. Smarty. <laughs> yeah, so like that, those upworthy things have just been so overdone and they're so overwrought as well. And I think people just stopped wanting to appear as overwrought, um, you know. Yeah, I think upworthy have started to. Um, still share the same kind of content, but they're trying to break it down and write stories about it. So it's um it's they're trying to val- uh, add more value to going to see a bit of upworthy content rather than um, just you know the three second thing that they they found. Yeah, they used to just be repackaging YouTube's basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's probably also important to uh, point out that you know they all st- sort of stopped doing it when uh, you know the Onion launched their clickbaity website Clickhole, and that was kind of you know when, at the point where it was like, well, if we if we can parry this so well, then maybe it's time to actually move on from that as well. I think that Clickhole is still producing amazing, uh, hilarious uh, send-ups of this content and, and all this, the new stuff that you see to come along every day. But um, yeah, I think I think a lot of the sites are trying to change it because it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think, like, I will still get sucked into it. Like, I will, I will definitely go and read a junkie article from time to time. I would, oh, <laughs> that's good to hear. <laughs> what about uh, more Amino? <laughs> <laughs> so, what does work now then? Um, well, I think people are a little bit smarter with what they're engaging with and they're a bit smarter with what they're sharing and they, you know, they, I don't think people are as inclined to just go for the easy click. Um, I, what works, you know, I think the curiosity gap is a really interesting example. You do need to have the payoff. You need to have, if, if there's a promise for something good, you need to be able to deliver it. So, but that, also this is nothing new, like a headline, headline, oh, all, totally. headlines nothing in papers, new. in physical papers are yeah. always trying to tickle your curiosity bone. I think we're, um, a, an organization like AFR gets in trouble is that their brand is known for hard business news and if you're promising something if you allude to promising something uh, one way but not delivering on that promise then that's the disconnect for the audience so the audience will go oh what is that oh that's not what I thought it was going to be yeah and I think that was you know in that crikey article as well it pointed out a lot of um, Fairfax um, headlines that were doing similar things like encouraging that curiosity gap and it I, does I it does seem a little bit out of place for that and, and it does feel weird when you're on the Sydney Morning Herald website for instance and you see those kinds of headlines that are like she couldn't believe it happened to her (laughs) the thing is not many people are engaging with the full page of of websites anymore like the front page of um, it's a pretty good headline particularly if you're trying to encourage (laughs) people to find out what Gina Reinhardt thinks about not getting a board seat so (laughs) I think uh, I'll bring Josh in here you wanted to add to this yeah, I understand the frustration from the journalist point of view from from the traditional sites I mean I like I have experienced it myself where I've written uh, something in my last job at the DNet, and um, I've seen it repackaged on on pedestrian or junkie or uh, something as as something a lot more, uh, you know, I guess um, uh, curiosity gap type headline, and that that kind of that is frustrating from a journalist point of view because you're like, well, we could have gone for that headline, but you know, we're we're a different type of publication, so it doesn't exactly work for us. So I can understand why they would potentially be looking to I guess bridge that gap a little bit, but yeah, you're right that there are certain um, I guess if they have a certain established brand that they don't want to sort of detour too far. For Crikey, I'm interested to know, like, because it is a subscription site, do you have to game audiences like that? 
Yeah, so I think there is probably a tiny little bit of, uh, of I guess, content uh, curiosity gap in what uh, we do. Thankfully, we have we have uh, very talented people who, who write a lot of the headlines and know how to sort of get audiences in. But it, it's kind of a mixture. It's not really sort of, I guess, dragging people in and making them want to, you know, click subscribe. We kind of, you can tease it out a little bit, but um, I don't think we do super clickbaity, thankfully. <laughs> Um, you know, we're, we're in the in the business. We talk about A/B headline testing and things like that. So, um, putting out a headline and it gets tested um, to a certain number of audience, and the, whatever headline gets more clicks, that one gets changed to that headline. But I know for Upworthy, for instance, they have um, A to uh, I think X headline testing. Um, you, if you're a content curator for Upworthy, it's your job to write 24 headlines, and oh out of those 24 headlines, you put it into a bit of a black box into an algorithm, and then that algorithm will will mishmash you a headline out of that. And they found that to be the most effective way of writing headlines. It's incredible. It's amazing. Yeah, I think I think I think traditional outlets have stuff to learn from digital outlets, but yeah, I think that. Ultimately, if you do anything too much, it backfires, and I think that a lot of like outlets are realizing that. I think I think for AFR, this is truly just a brand problem. They just uh, are forgetting who they are, and they're not speaking with the right with the right voice. So, could that alienate readers eventually? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, or I mean, already, I'm a like I'm a subscriber um, to Fairfax, and I. I get annoyed that I have to see ads and I, you know, I pay them 15 bucks a month. You know, like I would, you know, I would love to, you know, what, what, what exactly am I getting from my, <laughs> from my $15 a month? Um, anyway, like I think, I think there are, I think, you know, clickbaity headlines will, will, will eventually annoy sub- subscribers and readers. Well, uh, it's about shares as well. I've heard, it, you know, <laughs> that's the new thing. Um, as the BuzzFeed editor in chief, Ben Smith wrote last year, you can trick someone to click, but you can't trick someone to share. And aren't shares more important than clicks in uh, 2015, Steph? Oh, they're hugely important to us. Um, I can't speak for traditional outlets like AFR or Fairfax, but that's where we get most of our traffic from. We get about 70% of our traffic comes through Facebook. Um, I think Upworthy have said, um, going back to Upworthy, um, they write headlines not for their readers, um, but for their readers' friends. So you're writing a headline so that when your reader shares it on Facebook, their friends click on it. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I think it's not just the headlines anymore, though. It's a, a lot of it is, is images as well. I think mm. that, that plays a huge part. Like, one of the things of ours that went really well recently is, like, you know, I, I did quite a, a long piece on um, uh, immigration and how much it's actually costing us to keep asylum seekers in Nauru. Now, that sort of story generally probably wouldn't get, uh, like, that much traffic, but... We put an infographic with it comparing all the different costs, you know, staying, putting them in education, keeping them in jail, stuff like that. And that has actually really done well for us. So I think it's not just the headlines that people are seeing anymore. It's also, I think, images are hugely important now as well. I definitely agree with that. I think any time you can make a dense story like that more accessible to an audience who is who's scant on time that's that's perfect way of, of creating create of great great content for the digital space what the problem the next big problem the next big barrier that publishers like junkie and crikey and fairfax and afr are going to have to um juggle is the idea that they will then have to start publishing to uh facebook's own proprietary publishing service so that is that is the next big foundation and if if Facebook treat uh, YouTube oh, if the tra- Facebook to treat um, publishers the way they treat YouTube eventually they're going to um, retrograde all of the links going to those big publishers websites and 
uh, artificially inflate all the leaks coming from the in-house publishing tools so that Facebook keeps the money. So that direct publishing to the platforms, um, mainly Facebook, is, which is the issue now, is going to be the next big challenge for the media companies to come to grips with. And uh, that's what's going to be that's what's going to be really crippling for yeah. everyone. And the worst part is you have no choice but to play along. There's no choice. Yeah. There's no good option. And it, it's so hard to figure out. I mean, it, it's like, um, what do you say? Hey, Mark Zuckerberg, can you not make yeah. so much money? And give, it, give us a fair go. We want to, which I, don't, I don't get it. If, if Taylor Swift can fight back against Apple Music, why can't we fight yeah. against, back against Facebook? Do you know what? Because here's the reason why. Because <laughs> there are enough players out there who will just rip off Cracky's content through and put it through Facebook's um, publishing arm as their own brand, and then they will they will do the rev share with Facebook. You so already see if that you, happening if, with videos. If, you, if you're not, yeah, you already see that happening with videos. There's a great article that came out um, this week um, by a um, a YouTuber who was lamenting the fact that Facebook. Uh, what they what his term is freebooting um, users are stealing his YouTube videos and, and putting them on Facebook and he's and they're making they're building their brands and they're they're building the ads around that work and so um, there's this already huge huge IP stash between YouTube and Facebook and what we're seeing is as YouTube is still growing and Facebook video is growing so much faster mm. and it's catching up to, to to YouTube so yeah it's 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 playing with Facebook is the next big problem for digital publishers. This is Fourth Estate. I'm Lucy Robson and I'm joined by Dan Illick, Steph Harmon and Josh Taylor. Last week, the Sweet Tooth community of Australia rejoiced at the announcement of a new product, tubs of Golden Gay Time ice cream. Supposedly the work of a social media hero, Jesse James McElroy and his Facebook page, Golden Gay Time Ice Cream Tub Project. This victory may not have been as sweet as it first seemed. Josh, can you tell us what you found out about the Golden Gay Time ice cream? Yeah, so, so I was I went through the Facebook page uh, and had a look at the likes, and and so essentially the the site started about a month before the launch, and then it was fairly flat on uh, the number of of likes, and then the two days before the announcement, it just shot up uh, to like a bit over four thousand, I think, when I last checked it, and that really didn't sort of seem very right. So I had a look at a couple of the people who were involved, and and although they They've all denied that they're they have any ties to streets or anything like that, but they all work for marketing and advertising agencies. So there is something a little bit sus there. So I, I, I put it to streets about it, and um, they they still deny it. But you know, a lot of the sites sort of ran it as though streets were responding to this campaign, which you know only lasted a month and barely had any likes. So it was. I have a I have a you know a deep suspicion of these sorts of grassroots movements and, and you know Facebook like. Uh, groups popping up now, like and um, I guess marketing companies using them as as a platform to sell a product. I guess. What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the cynical journalist in me that that um just you know doubts the the reality of these sorts of things now. <laughs> um. Well, good work with that. Uh, but I'm sure that you've done more intense investigative work in your career, Josh. Yeah, you've totally smashed open the, the ice cream cartel. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is, um, why didn't anyone else think to look at that, do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I think it was just an easy, nice story for them. Were, I think that a lot of people were sort of very, very excited about the prospect of Golden Gay Time ice cream, that they were keen to get the story up as quickly as possible. So they all seemed to sort of just take it verbatim. And, and yeah, I don't know. So... Street sent me the original press release, and they, they claim that they made no mention of this, this guy's group. But obviously, everyone's already been given the same information because everyone ran with that same angle. So 
either they're all copying each other or there's something else going on there. So I, I, it only really took me about 20 minutes. So I don't know why people just didn't sort of look into it a bit further. I don't know. <laughs> oh, because it's so much easier to turn out a story. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> we went one step further. We went down to, uh, we went all over Sydney to try and find some because it was actually sold out all around the place. Um, we went to three different um, uh, supermarkets where it was empty shelves and we, f- we eventually tracked one down at um, the 7-Eleven on that. Paddington, in Oxford Street in Paddington. and it was Everybody out the, go there. It was, right out, it was, it was out the back um, and we brought a tub, two tubs back to Fairfax and we made our Fairfax journalists eat them and give a review and apparently it's not very good. It's not very good. Not enough crunchy bits. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, so it's a bit of a disappointment. I couldn't find any in, in the Melbourne CBD and I, I eventually found some sort of in the outskirts of, of the city on the weekend but then I was going to buy it and then I'm like, no, that's just letting them win. And I... I decided against it, but um, yeah, we, we were comparing it in the office too. I don't know if you remember a couple of months ago, uh, Uber ran a ran a campaign where they were saying that they were going to deliver kittens to people's offices, and the only people who seemed to actually get the kittens were journalists who were going to write it up. So there was a bit of you know, oh, is this an actual promotion or is, is this just sort of you know, <laughs> getting a bit of of coverage in the media? No one was delivering kittens to a bucket factory, were they? Uh... <laughs> but I think you know, media stunts have been around forever, and I I mean I guess it's important to underline the fact that there's no proof that this, you know, there's no proof yet Very that, true. that this yeah. isn't. Uh, is a media stunt. Um, I think I've seen, you know, campaigns like this go viral quite um, organically about food in particular. That, like, they do pick up steam really quickly. Um, but in general, uh, we, at, like at Junkie, we just treat anything that's brand related as a hoax and then work back from there. Like, that's anything right. that happens Same is a marketing <laughs> campaign. That is really great strategy. <laughs> I guess it goes back to the, the clickbaity con- content. This sort of stuff will do really well traffic for a lot of sites. So do you yeah. just then play along with it because it will work out well for you and, and for what your site is after? Or do you actually you know, uh, treat your readers with a bit of respect and look into it a bit more? I think that's probably the best way to look at it. Yeah, it was a, there was a Pizza Hut thing recently. They've started making all these Pizza Huts with various things in them, like meat pies and Vegemite crust and all these kind of mm. like uh, iconic Australian um, food types, stuffing them into the pizza. And so many outlets, like including The Guardian and big name, you know, news outlets were going crazy for it. And it just, it does make you feel like, oh, like we could do it, but man, like I just don't, you know, and you know it's going to get a heap of clicks, but you've got to toss up, like, Mm. is it worth it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. I was just like, I think it's about trying to find, like, if you know it's going to get heaps of clicks, if you can do it in a a cynical way, maybe (laughs) you won't alienate your audience. Yeah. Whenever, if we ever write about brands, we always try and inject just like one sentence that's a little bit meta and a little bit negative about the brand to make it just clear that we're not like, we're not like buddying up with them. Mm, According to the press release. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think uh, this kind of astroturfing stuff has the potential to backfire on a brand? Oh, hugely. I think I think it's proven that it, it does. Um, I think there was a case in 2009 when Witchery, um, they, they had some video oh. campaign. It was a girl who um, found a jacket on a train belonging to a guy she had a crush on and did this video being like, I need to find this man and had the jacket up and it turned out she was an actor hired by a marketing company that had been employed by Witchery to get the brand awareness out um, and that hugely backfired on Witchery. Like, We're still talking about it on radio though four years later. Yeah, so. yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're right. I just mentioned <laughs> so Witchery like here. seven times. So. <laughs> I think if the brand is uh, knows the danger of doing it, like as someone who's worked both sides of the fence and, and still continue to do work both sides of, of, of the fence, and that is PR, uh, branded PR and also um, regular content, um, uh, and it, it 
if you can educate your brand, if you can educate your client into the into the into the downfalls and pitfalls of it, and know and tell them, hey, this is what could happen. But when this happens, you just need to roll with it because and take take lean into it and really take ownership of what's happened because it is a game and you did beat them and uh, and here is. And, and, you know, good on them. They did their jobs as journalists. So you just need to kind of uh, force yourself to uh, acknowledge that, it, that you know, hey, you got us, you know, you know, hey, thanks. Thanks for talking about us. <laughs> and if, if that happens, that's great. Dick Smith, who I've worked with uh, a number of times, he is the master at this crazy stuff. Um, and he re- he's done lots of things. Um, I made an ad for him a couple of years ago called, um, I don't know, I don't know. I like Dick. It was about Dick food, Dick Smith food products. It was hilarious. <laughs> We got it banned, but anyway, um, the the point is before the first thing he ever did, how Dick Smith made his first bucket of money, he sold uh, petrol powered pogo sticks, and <laughs> he called the Sydney Morning Herald to say, "Hey, I'm going to ride, I'm going to ride my petrol powered pogo stick across the Sydney Harbour Bridge." This is like I don't know in the '60s, uh, and he had a petrol powered pogo stick and. It wouldn't. It, the thing is, it wouldn't jump more than like six steps. So he just walked it to the toll booth, got a photo up of him going through the toll booth, paying the toll, and then the thing broke down after the toll booth, and then the guy ran it in the paper, and he sold like ten thousand yeah. in a space of like a few months, and that's how he that's how he started Dick Smith Electronics with that with that money. Really extraordinary. So if you if you're ready for that kind of if if you can own your fa- if you can own the downside to it, then as a brand, you actually win. Well, we should say we actually can't prove anything. So if you manage to find a tub of the gay time ice cream, <laughs> enjoy it uh, with a clear conscience. And we have a question from a listener on our last topic. Anthony asks, what does the panel think of Facebook publishing their own content? Ah, I think this is what we were, we were talking about before. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. not a publisher, the best, you know. Yeah. I mean, so, okay. Uh as I said before, I, I think that it's that kind of thing where you have to play along. So if mm. Facebook turns, you know, at the moment they're experimenting with bigger, much bigger publications than Junkie. Um, but if it turns out that we need to play along, we're just going to have to do it. And the, the everyone in the industry is crossing their fingers that the revenue share is going to be beneficial to the publisher. Um, but basically they just get to write the rules and we, we have to play along. So it feels uncomfortable. It means that less people are going to be clicking through to the sites and we have to find ways around it, whether that means, you know, making it native content or something else where it's not relying on um, ad impressions. Mm. Um, we're not really sure what we're going to do if that time comes, but we'll just I, have to play along. I interpreted that question as meaning if Facebook becomes a publisher itself. I, yeah, I, I think can't really see so well. that being... The, uh, the case because, you know, Facebook's all about everyone else's voice rather than Facebook itself. But um, I guess it's not that different from, you know, ANZ does the Blue Notes thing now where it's them as a news site. And you've got to wonder, a lot of these companies, they, you know, they are getting more into the being their own voice and being their own sort of news outlet uh, type thing. But how do they therefore establish, I guess, uh, editorial independence from the company that they are. Do they ever report on the company that they are? I mean, AFL has has the same problem as well. They've got a whole bunch of journalists working for them now. And, and you know, are they going to be able to adequately report on issues about the AFL as employees of the AFL? So I think that's something that people will probably, similar to, I guess, the clickbait, the, um, the you know, marketing type stuff, people smell something wrong with the reporting, they'll, they'll realise it. Yeah, this is it's really interesting. Like from a journalist perspective and a content creator's perspective, as the media is fragmentizing, the new opportunities are at all these brands who are trying to be uh, voices in in their own markets, um, and that's that's so excruciatingly bad. 
um, for editorial, but really good for my pay packet. Uh, so, <laughs> it, 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 but it also means that you know you got to straddle you know, straddle worlds and, and, and compromise yourself and, you know, do things you don't want to do. Um, when it comes to native, um, when it comes to native publishing natively, um, during my time at AJ Plus, we would publish videos on Facebook and also f- on also YouTube and Twitter as well natively. Um, now, when we would share a link through our Facebook page, Facebook would would also retrograde the YouTube links down and, and really when it came, when it came to, sorry, Facebook video and YouTube video, Facebook would favor its native content about 600% more than it would favor a YouTube link. And so that is, that is really a pain in the ass. And so that's why we really truly, while we're at AJ plus it, lent into Facebook and really embraced Facebook video as it's as our as our main outlet for content and that's why AJ plus video is doing so well at the moment because everyone everything is geared for Facebook first and then YouTube second YouTube becomes um, the second platform this is fourth estate my name's Lucy Robson joined by Steph Harmon Dan Illick and Josh Taylor now, the long Q&A saga may be at an end as the ABC board has last week voted to move this show from its original division of TV into news and current affairs. This was a specific request from Tony Abbott to the chairman, James Spiegelman. Uh, apparently, the government is pleased and front benches have permission to appear on the show once more. Now, we could speak kind of for half an hour about whether this is um, a sign of what's happening with ABC's independence, but instead I'm just going to ask whether you guys are excited that um, front benches are going to be back on Q&A. <laughs> uh, I think that it's been really engaging without them, so <laughs> I'm not that looking forward to it. Yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson every week, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm also a few politicians on Q&A. I think the whole format needs an overhaul. It's, it's very, very tired. It's been, what, seven years now, and I think it's just, it's so predictable now when politicians are on that it's not as engaging as it once was. Uh, it was fun. I was hosting Breakfast Radio the other day and I had a politician on and he was the worst person I spoke to in three weeks of doing mm. Breakfast Radio. Who was it? A uh, small business minister for New South Wales, someone, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, and he, don't just came on and, he just came on and started uh, rattling off talking points. And I had to say, oh, the minister's definitely on, on his talking points this morning. If you want to talk like <laughs> a human... Please, you know, you're, wel- you're welcome to. I want to have a conversation with you. I don't want to be – this is not a press conference. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, kind of details surfacing. No one really knows yet what it means for Q&A. But I mm. think, you know, a lot of people, there's rumours that it's going to be not live anymore. And, and, and mm. if it turns into just, like, stilted conversations between politicians who are just not responding to questions and towing party line even more than they already do it- – I, to my knowledge, it doesn't effectively change too much okay. uh, about it. It's really just a different person is in charge of it. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure Pete McAvoy will still be EP of it, but um, he just won't answer to uh, the head of entertainment. He will answer to the head of news. So what it is is a funding thing as well. So there's a, there'll be a huge amount of money set aside for it in entertainment, and they'll just move that money to a different um, to a different money box. And uh, and then there's uh, and that that's really that's really kind of about it and they might have to watch their balance more but I, I shouldn't think that I didn't think it would change too much I did read a delightful rumour I think on Crikey Josh that um, maybe it might mean that the tweets go ha, that'd be great yeah. no tweets yeah, so <laughs> of- god damn it <laughs> <laughs> we might have to read our tweets on Twitter oh god <laughs> natively oh. the, the competition get t- tweets on screen just means that people just you know tweet 
I don't know. It'd be interesting to watch how the, the I guess the pattern of tweets changes if they if they're not in competition to try and get an on screen tweet. Why don't we just not have guests and just do tweets? <laughs> I will not be tweeting again. <laughs> if that happens. The only reason no, why I watch Q and A is to get a tweet on screen. That's the only reason. That's the only reason. Media Watch does fifteen minutes of tweets just before the show anyway, so so it's um yeah, not really required anyway. Can they please do something with Media Watch? Can they make that more exciting? I don't know, add music or do something more than what they do. It's kind of, it's, it hasn't changed in like 40 years. Is this your pitch for a job on Media Watch? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got too many jobs. I don't need that one. All right. Well, we are unfortunately out of time for For the State. Um, thanks to my guests, Steph Harmon from Junkie. Thanks for Josh, having me. Josh Taylor from Crikey and Dan Illick, uh, investigative humorist. You can listen to our podcast on 2SCR.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Next up on the 2SCR is On the Money and the team are looking at the Hutchison Ports protests and what economic lessons Australia can learn from Canada. Then stay tuned for Infinite X uh, and the first of a series of reports on safe spaces for women. Fourth Estate is produced at the studios of 2SCR and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name's Lucy Robson and we're back next week.